welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. I am so excited to announce the sponsor for today's podcast, Rosebud Woman. Sensual health and pleasure should be a part of all the stages of a woman's life, and intimate skin requires the purest ingredients. Rosebud Woman makes intimate moisturizers, balms, lotions, and more for use alone or with a partner, before, during, and after, sex, exercise, waxing, or just for pleasure and self-care anytime. Their award-winning, OBGYN-approved, vegan, sustainably-made products have been featured in Vogue, Goop, Refinery29, Oprah, and others. Their products are available at rosewoman.com, that's R-O-S-E-W-O-M-A-N.com, or at spas and retailers nationwide. Thank you, Rosebud Woman, for sponsoring today's episode. Well, hi, and welcome back to the show. This is, of course, Health by Heather Hirsch. I am your host, Dr. Heather Hirsch. And if this is your first time listening in, so excited to have you here. I am the clinical program director of the Menopause and Midlife Clinic at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. And in my spare time, it is my passion, it is my hobby to make content for you so that you can understand and better advocate for yourself in all things women's health, particularly at menopause and midlife. I want to let you know there are some places you can follow me if you would like. On Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc. And on Twitter, I'm at Heather Hirsch MD. I do have my own website, heatherhirschmd.com. And that's where you can go if you want to take a look at things like all of my media releases, as well as to get more information on my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause. I created this course with you in mind, specifically from all of the questions and comments you send me over on Instagram, and now more recently over on YouTube on my channel there, Health by Heather Hirsch, and compiled it into a nearly six-hour online digital interactive course that you can purchase. And once you purchase, it is yours forever and take at your leisure. It's so comprehensive and addresses a lot of the misconceptions about menopause and its definitions. It goes into how to interpret your lab work. It goes into all different types of hormone therapy and myths and misconceptions, non-hormonal therapy. And then there's sections on things that women really care about, sleep, brain health, weight, hair, and etc. So if you want to learn all about my course, you can go to heatherhirschmd.com and you'll find that button for course, or you can also find this in the link in my bio on Instagram. In today's episode, we are talking all about low libido, and that is because over the weekend, and most recently it was World Menopause Day on Sunday, October 18th, and I did actually a few Instagram takeovers. It was quite a haul, but so enjoyable. And I have to say, I just got an overwhelming question on libido and menopause and how to fix it. 
And so today I really want to dive into, from my perspective, what those libido changes mean and how we can address them. And I'm hoping that in further episodes, I can include some sexual health counselors and some psychologists to also weigh in on this because I am not the only voice out there. And I'm glad that you are listening to my voice and it's in your ears right now, but I'm certainly aware that I am just one human and one physician and that I also am not a psychologist, and there are so many pieces to something like libido that it'd be so great to have such a wide array of healthcare experts weigh in on this topic. But in today's episode, I'm going to cover what I discuss with my patients in the clinic. So first things first, let us talk about what happens at menopause. Now, if you've listened to my podcast before, you can probably rattle this off, but at menopause, our ovaries, which make all the estrogen in our body, pretty much goes to sleep, and we don't make any estrogen anymore. In fact, estrogen levels postmenopausal range between 0 and 20. Those are considered normal postmenopausal ranges, and to give you a reference range, your estrogen went anywhere from about 50 to 500 when you were premenopausal and cycling. So 0 to a tw- to 20 is basically considered 0 or nothing. Very 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 low. Now, how come some women make you know, 18 and 20, and some women make zero. Well, our adipose tissue, our fat cells actually make some estrogen. And so if you're a little bit more on the overweight side, you may make some estrogen. And sometimes our adrenal glands also make some estrogen postmenopausally. But these levels, zero to 20, are extremely low, almost to the point where you can essentially assume your body is not receiving any estrogen to the places that it used to receive it. The places that has the most estrogen receptors are in the lower GU tract and in the brain. And then you have estrogen receptors, the rest of your body in almost every single organ system, you know, from your skin to our heart and our guts and our breasts everywhere. At the same time, women lose their testosterone. And so when I say this to my patients, they sometimes raise an eyebrow and I say, yes, women make testosterone just like men do. It's not just a male hormone. It's just that men make 10 times more than women and they're going to make it for every single day of their lives. Whereas once you go through menopause, you're going to lose that testosterone that you were endogenously making. So we lose our sex hormones. Oh my gosh. And men don't. They have the same steady sex hormones their entire lives. So it's really almost an unequal match from the get-go. Now, the purpose of our sex drive is to reproduce. And my mentor, Dr. Holly Thacker, would say this to her patients, and I've picked this gem up from her. So if the purpose of the sex drive is to reproduce... Then at menopause, when you no longer make your sex hormones, and if you've already had children, your brain kind of says, hmm, I don't need to spend my energy on that anymore. Definitely need to spend my energy on finding food and water and shelter, but probably not on reproducing because I'm just not going to be successful at that anymore. And so naturally, there's going to be a shift in your libido. And men don't have this. They're always trying to get pregnant. They never get pregnant. They never lose their testosterone levels. So there is a little bit of an unequal setup here as we get into midlife. Now, there is no right or wrong about libido when you're in midlife. There is a wide spectrum. The majority of my patients will tell me 
Dr. Hirsch, I really love my partner. I'm really attracted to him or her. I don't want to be with anyone else. But when it comes to sex or sexual activity, when I think about doing that, I'd rather just sit on the couch and watch TV or read a book or go on a hike. And I worry about this though, because I think it's unfair to my partner. And I guess I kind of miss when I used to be interested in it. But you know, if I never had sex again, I'd probably be just fine. But I would just feel bad for my partner. That's probably the majority of what I hear. And this is just anecdotal, meaning what I hear. It's not really grounded in scientific research. But then there's also the other spectrum where women will say, I never want to have intercourse again. And my husband's on the same page. And so we're not really bothered by it. And I'll have some women who feel that their sexual function is just fine, or they will feel that they really, really, really miss that aspect. And it is really, really, really important to them that they improve that libido because it makes them feel like themselves. That's the piece of them that makes them feel missing. So many patients, my patients will say they feel dead inside. And I cannot tell you how many times I have actually written that quote down in my patient's chart. So I really want you to know if you're suffering with changing in libido, and this is really affecting you because it's affecting your relationship or it's affecting your self-esteem or it's affecting that you feel that you're not aging in the way that you previously thought that you were, that a lot of this is normal, really, really normal, and that you are not alone. Now, there is a condition called hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And this means that a woman has One, a lowering of libido that is too bothersome and distressing to her. So that is called hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Now that wouldn't fit for the woman who says, I'm not interested in intercourse and, you know, neither is my partner and I'm never going to worry about it again. That's not her diagnosis because it's not distressing at all. So hypoactive sexual desire disorder is something that I clinically see. Now there is some options to treat this, but I want to take a huge step back, which I usually do with my patient before talking about treatment, and talk a little bit about the comorbidities or the coexisting conditions that happen at menopause that may play a big role in our changing libido before we get into treatment, right? Because if there's a huge, say, relationship or trust or marital issue, right? Obviously, I could give you all the medication in the world, but it might not fix the underlying problem. Or if there's significant pain, I could give you desire, but it's still going to be something that you don't want to engage in because your brain says, yeah, no, that's painful. So let's walk backwards before we get into treatment and we'll end with those. All right, so let's do a sweeping overview of some of the other issues that could be involved in your changing libido. The first, of course, is going to be any sort of changes in your relationship, and only you can answer this. And you really do want to think about, has there been anything in the past? Perhaps it's resurfacing. Maybe now that, say, children are out of the house or you might be an empty nester. Are there trust issues And does your partner have a sexual dysfunction? Because that can also cause libido changes in women. So it's not all on you. Is your partner having either erectile dysfunction or some other type of sexual issue that's inhibiting maybe your libido that you've been overlooking because you've been focusing on what you can change from your end? And how does that interfere with things? And so certainly sex counseling or couples counseling is such a really 
really helpful idea. And nowadays you can do actually a lot of this via telemedicine and yes, it can be costly, but if it's a huge and high priority for you, it's probably worth the cost because you may have so many more decades with your partner and addressing it now before it tends to get worse is something that you really might want to strongly consider. The other thing is like, what about menopausal symptoms? Because certainly I always tell my patients, first of all, your libido has changed because your brain kind of says, oh, I'm not going to reproduce anymore. But what happens if you're flashing and you're not sleeping? You're getting like four hours of sleep. Do you really think you're going to want to prioritize intercourse or sex? You're probably not. You know, anytime women, in in fact, in general are stressed, we're probably going to prioritize sex less. And so if you're not feeling well due to symptomatic menopause, then that could certainly be playing a role into this. And then of course, there's pain with intercourse. So that's dyspareunia, which is the medical term. And the medical term for the change in the vagina that happened postmenopausally is genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And I just did a whole YouTube video on this. So you can go check that out over on my YouTube channel, Health by Heather Hirsch, if you want to get a real deep dive into genitourinary syndrome of menopause. But again, if you're having pain with intercourse, we really need to discuss and address that or your doctor and you need to discuss and address that because that's going to be another rate limiting factor. Of course, kids in the house, stress with parents, stress with children, stressful job situation, all of these things which tend to culminate at menopause can also certainly lower your libido and your desire because it simply just doesn't make the priority list. Also, you got to consider, do you have new chronic uh, health conditions like a sleep apnea, for example, or new onset of anxiety or depression, or even things like diabetes or high blood pressure, having to incorporate new habits like adding medications and taking them before bedtime or early in the morning and changing your diet. Are those medications affecting your libido? Is the diagnosis itself affecting your libido? Libido is so multifactorial in my opinion, and taking a global look at some of these things is something that's really important for uh, me when I'm seeing my patients to, to do, as well as for you to do and think about when you start to approach your doctor. So certainly sex counseling is such a helpful thing, and if there's pain with intercourse, we definitely want to improve that, and we're really going to improve that by using Uh, primarily local vaginal estrogen. And the safety and efficacy of vaginal estrogen is extremely well-documented and has found to be extremely safe and extremely effective. So again, I'm pointing you over to that YouTube I did because it goes over all of the different types and kinds and pros and cons of the different types of vaginal estrogens. Now, certainly many of my patients will also use over-the-counter lubricants and moisturizers. And while those won't change the underlying pathophysiology, uh, i.e. those changes that happen postmenopausally, they certainly can help as a as kind of a band-aid or especially during intercourse. One of my favorite options is Uberlube, which is a former podcast sponsor, as well as Rosebud Woman, which is the sponsor of today's podcast episode. And so certainly I want you to Google those and check out their website's because you might find some products that you really like. And I certainly do recommend these over the traditional KY lubricants that you're going to find over the counter. And that is because there are some ingredients in commercial KY jelly that can actually be somewhat irritating to the skin 
or some patients can have an allergic reaction to them. So that's why I would recommend either Uber Lube or Rosebud Woman products to start with, and especially to explore with your partner. Another thing I will also discuss with my patients and often recommend is something called pelvic floor physical therapy. Now, I know whenever I say that, I feel like I can see inside people's minds and they have this imagery of these weights hanging out for the vagina or all these weighted exercises. And the good news is those are really false images. And pelvic floor physical therapy is really important for a patient with diagnosed with vaginismus. And vaginismus is an involuntary contraction or tightening of that pelvic floor muscles to say, oh no, stay out. And this becomes extremely hard to undo this really high tone in the pelvis, mostly because we form strong neurological connections that say, hey, don't do that. It's painful. In fact, your body is trying to protect you in a way, you know, but it takes a lot more than relaxation or deep breath sometimes to undo, especially months or years of painful intercourse. So if you think you might have that sort of involuntary contraction of pelvic floor and high pelvic tone, pelvic floor physical therapy is a really great way to retrain those pelvic floor muscles. And a lot of people will ask me, isn't this Kegels? And I actually say, and I got this from my good friend, Melissa Gallo, who did a previous podcast with me on pelvic floor physical therapy early on. So scroll down and you can find that one with her. But she said, no, you actually want to do a reverse Kegel. Kegels tighten the pelvic floor and increase that tone. And you want to work on and on undoing that high tone in the pelvic bowl. So, so much good information can be found in that podcast. And a lot of pelvic floor physical therapy involves a lot of core work and uh, as well as activating the right muscles in your glutes and in your pelvis and in your abdominals. And I have found that my patients have been able to achieve their intercourse goals by completing pelvic floor physical therapy and then uh, keeping those muscles trained by doing those pelvic floor exercises at home. All right, so now let's get into the much promised and highly anticipated treatment options. Now, these are technically options for hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And again, I cannot stress how important it is to do that pre-work to make sure that there is nothing else that is in the way of you and your libido goals. Now, one of the first things I end up doing with a lot of my patients, and this is just a function of how I like to work, but I typically do assess their menopausal symptoms. And quite commonly, if they're coming to me, they may be considering a postmenopausal hormone therapy at that point. And if I am going to start postmenopausal hormone therapy, which would be an estrogen plus a progestin if they have an intact uterus, often that is the first thing that I will do because a majority of my patients come back and they will tell me that they have feel that their desire and their libido has improved. It's no longer painful. They're sleeping. Something about just treating those bothersome, whether it's vasomotor symptoms or nighttime symptoms, really significantly improves their overall quality of life, which then trickles down into their sexual life. Now, it's often at that point, and not always, sometimes patients come to me and this is their one and only thing and everything else in their life is absolutely perfect. But 
Now, at that point, if someone comes back to me and has started their estrogen or estrogen progesterone or their non-hormonal option or their vaginal estrogen or whatever we have decided is the best individual choice for them, I'll reassess their libido. And sometimes they will still tell me it's pretty poor and there's been no change and they still really want to make this a priority and see if there could be an improvement. Then we get into the discussion on what are the options? What are the medical options at this point? Well, although men have numerous options that are FDA approved, women only have two. One, two, two options that are FDA approved and one option that I actually use quite frequently, which is not FDA approved. And that one is testosterone replacement. So I know this is what you've been all been waiting for is the testosterone question. When do you use it? Why do you use it? And I actually have a whole YouTube video on this as well, but we're going to kind of cover this next. So the North American Menopause Society, or NAMS for short, did a really nice position statement in 2019 on the use of testosterone. Because testosterone is not FDA approved in the United States, that means that we have to get it compounded. And if you've been an avid listener of mine, you also know that I highly recommend only FDA approved products and not getting compounded products. But in the case of testosterone, we don't have many options. So because it's not FDA approved for women, it is really hard to do clinical studies. But what the NAMS position statement found is that there was a role for low dose physiologic levels of testosterone replacement in postmenopausal women for hypoactive sexual desire disorder, meaning its main role should be for low libido and that you should use a very low dose and replace testosterone in physiologic levels. All right, breaking that all down, what does that mean? Well, so I always tell my patients, uh, testosterone is not probably going to be FDA approved in my lifetime. I would be fairly shocked because of how political it is and how expensive it is. And we're talking in the billions to get testosterone approved for women. That's an entire different podcast episode. But because it's not, and because the North American Menopause Society does recognize its value in libido for women at postmenopause, we can use and consider topical testosterone. Now, the way that I do typically prescribe it is in a compounded dose. And if you want to get nitty gritty, I actually prescribe 0.25 mils of 1% topical testosterone. And that is something that has to be received from a compounding pharmacy. It's not going to be covered by your insurance because it's not FDA approved. So even doing a prior auth, even if you need it, even if there's a medical indication for it, it's not going to be approved. Now, NAMS also recommends using a male dose of male testosterone. So for example, one thing I'll often do is use androgel. Androgel is a male testosterone prescription, and I have them use one-tenth of the packet. Now, this can sometimes be cheaper because your insurance may randomly cover androgel. Don't get me started. But there can be used some user error because using a tenth of a packet is harder to eyeball and often requires me giving your pharmacist a call because they're extremely confused on the directions that I'm trying to write for you. But you can do testosterone. Now, what I recommend doing is, or what I always do for my patients, is I check their testosterone levels before they start treatment and make sure that they are low. And the reason I do that 
is because in the random event that you had normal or even high levels of testosterone, we would not want to prescribe testosterone for you. That just means that that's not what you need. There's probably something else that's inhibiting your libido. It's not your hormones. And the majority of the time, my women postmenopausally, their testosterone level is quite low. And I have them always check that before we discuss and start compounded or a tenth of androgel topical testosterone for women. And then I get into the fact that it's not FDA approved and that we may have to get it compounded or it is going to be quite expensive. Then I have my patients use this for six weeks and do a six week trial. And when they come back, I have it set up so they can get their testosterone rechecked and we can discuss if it helped or not. I certainly want to check those testosterone levels because I never want those testosterone levels to get too high. So actually, In all honesty, I actually see testosterone levels do elevate, but they're still within the normal range for women. So let me give you an example. Let's say Nancy comes in to see me and the normal reference range for testosterone at my hospital is between eight and 60. And when we first check her testosterone, she's three years postmenopausal. Her testosterone level is 10. And when I see her at follow-up, her testosterone level may be 33, but she feels a heck of a lot of improvement in her libido. That's perfect. She's not even at that higher level of that reference range of 60, and that's exactly where I want her to be. And that's because there are serious consequences to having two elevated levels of testosterone. That's what we call supra-therapeutic. That's why we want to have you in a physiologic range, just what NAMS recommends. If your testosterone is too high, you can have the following. Your hair can fall out. If it's not already falling out enough, you don't want to add too much testosterone because it can worsen that hair loss. You can get uh, facial hair. You can get acne. You can get terrible acne that leaves permanent scarring. I've seen permanent lowering and deepening of the voice and a permanent enlargement in your clitoris from testosterone levels that are too high. Now I'm pleased to say I have luckily not seen this in any of my patients, but where I do see it is women who come to me who are getting uh, compounded testosterone um, in a pellet injection or any type of other injectables or some other type of unregulated compounded hormones, and those levels are getting really high. In fact, I've seen levels upwards at the hundreds into the 200s. These are astronomically dangerous for women. And so it's my job to kind of walk them back and and explain to them uh, how we could still safely improve their libido with testosterone levels that are still within physiologic range. So testosterone is not without its own pros and cons. Now, say my patient Nancy comes back and uh, the testosterone has not helped her. Well, I'll have that testosterone level to see if it's because she's not getting enough or maybe she is, but it's just not doing the trick and therefore she can stop it. So let's say her level goes from 10 to 33 and she says, Dr. Hirsch, I see absolutely no difference. Well, that may signal to me that there's something else going on with her libido and that the testosterone replacement wasn't the magic trick that we hoped that it would be. Perhaps we could increase that dose a teeny-weensy-weensy. Again, I said those reference ranges are somewhere between 8 and 60. I would be very cautious in doing so, and I would really try that only for another six weeks, and if still no improvement, then I would have her stop the topical testosterone. NAMS did not find that testosterone was really useful for things like energy or muscle mass or weight loss, things that a lot of people wonder about the use of testosterone. 
And so when those are someone's main issues, I certainly would not start with testosterone uh, for those reasons. Certainly, there's probably plenty of other things that we could do to improve those levels of fatigue or weight that are not testosterone related. All right, now I said there was two other FDA approved options. So what are those? The next one is called Flabanserine, and its brand name is Addy. Addy is a once daily oral medication. So that means you're going to have to take a pill once a day. Just like the topical testosterone, the Addy is going to work when you use it. And so it's something that you need to be committed to to see if there's an improvement in that hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Flabanserine is a great medication, in my opinion. It's just underutilized primarily because of its cost, which again is so frustrating and just an overarching message that women's medications for sexual health or aging and menopause and midlife are not seemingly valued by our insurance companies. So it's quite costly. Now you definitely want to give this about a eight to 12 week trial and see if you notice an improvement in libido. In the clinical studies, this improved um, frequency of sexually satisfying events, I think by one a month, which seems very low, but I have plenty of women uh, who have sex maybe once a year, and this is a significant improvement or a few times a year. So it's always in the eye of the beholder as to what actually is success or what is reaching your goals, because it is absolutely different for everyone. So that might not be the right option for somebody who's having intercourse once a day, but their goal is um, twice a day, right? It's kind of an extreme example, but now actually a phlebanserine is approved for premenopausal women, but I often use it off-label for postmenopausal women. It is considered to be in the antidepressant class because it works by increasing those happy neurotransmitters in our brain. So you may also get some mood elevation benefits from it, but certainly this is not what we use first line for anxiety or depression. And so again, I always tell my patients, it's not that we think that you're secretly anxious or depressed and that's why we're giving you this. It's actually FDA approved for hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Okay. The last option is the newest one on the market, and this is called Vilesi or Bromanolanotide. It's a mouthful. Bromanolanotide is a injectable medication, so you use this on an as-needed basis. This was just FDA approved, I believe, at the end of 2019, so it's been about a year on the market. And I do find some success for patients who are wanting to improve their libido but don't want to be on another daily medication. So this comes with four um, pens that you inject subcutaneously, so right under your little fat pad in your belly. And this is something you can inject before date night. The instructions on the box say 90 minutes before, but the study showed that the effects last several hours. So I usually say try it before date night. Most people are actually fine with giving themselves a self-injection, but there is a pretty common side effect of nausea from this. So I know that my patients laugh and say, well, if I'm nauseous, I'm definitely not going to want to have sex. And so true. So I find that this is about a third of the cases, which is what has been reported in the studies. And so sometimes I will also prescribe for my patients an anti-nausea medication so that if they do have that terrible side effect, they can counteract it. 
And then they're also welcome to give it a second try because I do sometimes wonder if it's that first time administration or the first time your body's seeing a new medication that it reacts like that. So those are the two FDA approved options and topical testosterone. I want to let you know that there are also other things that can be done that are non-medical, but I certainly get that question the most, especially about testosterone. So again, I hope that was helpful. And also please check out my YouTube on this on why to use testosterone and when to use testosterone and why not to use pellet injections. They're kind of go side by side. There is a wonderful app called Meet Rosie, and I actually interviewed the founder of that, Dr. Lindsay Harper, a few episodes back. And if you are interested in something that is not a medication or that's not necessarily sex counseling because of the time or the money needed for something like that, go check out that episode with Dr. Harper. We talk all about her app for women with low desire that you can get right from the app store called Meet Rosie. And it's just such a wonderful resource and reference for women to use on their phone. Cause let's be honest, we're on our phone 24 seven. They can really serve to booster your libido. And just by being active and being present in addressing this issue is really opening up the dialogue for so much more to be researched and uh, discovered in this area. I am so excited that I recently became a part of ISHWISH, and that's the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. And I have learned from the incredible sexual health experts around the globe in various fields, and I'm simply kind of relaying things to you from my brain, but again, I am certainly not the first and foremost expert in this area. You can actually find Ishwish on Instagram and on Twitter. And there's so many members of that community who also have Instagram profiles and love to do a teaching for the general population. I'm just so excited to be part of a movement in a time period where women are demanding better answers for these things. But I want you to make sure that one, you do what's right for you and that you stay safe in doing so. And also Lastly, to really normalize that this experience, especially as we head into midlife and menopause, is really, really normal. I also have a great old episode called This One's For The Partners, which is a really great thing for maybe your partner to listen to if you're struggling to express some of the changes that are happening with you. And again, I think it really helps put a lot of this in light for our partners who may not understand or be going through menopause that some of these changes are strictly physiologic and therefore out of our control. No matter how much society wants us to think that we're in control of everything from our weight to our salary, you know, there are some things that are out of our control and hormones is one of them. Well, thank you guys so much for this crash course in changing libido at menopause. And I hope to have at least put this footprint in your mind and given you some resources and let you know that there is a lot out there that's being done. There are two FDA approved products and one non-FDA approved product. And again, the main thing I want you to think about is what are the other things in your life that are affecting your libido at midlife and menopause? Because this is a is one part of a big piece of a pie. Thank you guys for your support, for your reviews, for your stars. If you have time, please, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast because you are making this podcast climb to the top of the charts, you and you alone. So thank you guys so much. You know, you can find me and follow me on any of my various social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing your comments and your feedback and your suggestions, because that is what fuels my weekly episodes. Thank you guys so much 
for listening in. Even though I don't know each one of you personally, I do feel a connection between me and you. See you next week. Bye.